This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. All right, guys, it's that time of the year. We are going to be doing our best books of 2023. I get excited for this podcast. He's into your podcast basically every year because I'm like thinking about them all the way throughout the year. But we'll get to that content. Before we do, just want to give a quick thank you to our donors. Guys, if you don't know this by now, we are a donation-based ministry. And so the overwhelming majority of our operations is paid for by you guys, by donors, by guys that like what we do, that believe in our mission of equipping men to push back darkness. So if you have not hopped on board to become a donor to Undaunted Life, please do that. Again, into your giving, a lot of guys are going to be sending you emails and things like that. Please keep us in mind and also keep in mind that we created a cigar this year. How cool is that? I didn't even know coming into this year that I'd be like slinging cigars, but we do have cigars in the Undaunted Life shop. You can just go to undaunted.life backslash cigars as well. That'll take you to where you can buy these cigars. Again, the proceeds for that go to support the Tim Tebow Foundation, specifically the rescue team, which rescues children from sex trafficking and takes care of them. All that information is there on the website. So for today. We're going to talk about the best books of 2023. So for those of you that have been listening to the show for a long time, you know, at the end of the year, I kind of talk about the best books that I've read. To those of you that are new to the show, uh, I'm I'm not what I would consider to be a prolif- prolific reader because I know people that read over 100 books every single year, like year in, year out. But last year, I read 54 books in 11 months. And for someone like me that gets bored easy, that kind of has to move from task to task to task. That's a lot. Like that is an extreme amount of books. And it got so extreme as I talked about last year. I was like, wait a minute. I I read more books than I read like chapters of the Bible. And so I, I basically flipped that. That's why we launched the forging table. So for some of you like, hey, you know, this, you know, guys around the you know table kind of talking about the Bible. Where did that idea come from? It came from the fact that I was like, okay, I need an excuse to read the you know, read the Bible and study the Bible more. And it's because last year I went overboard on reading books that had really not a whole lot to do with the Bible and not getting into God's word at all. But this year I read 37 books. So I was about to finish another book, but I had an interview canceled. So I didn't finish that. So I read 34 or 37 books this year. Basically how I read is uh, when a publisher reaches out to have someone come on the show, which is basically the books that I read, they send me a PDF of the book and I upload it to my personal iPad and it allows me to put it into a program where I can really take notes, organize notes, and I can just go through it pretty quickly. And I think I read in terms of, okay, what is going to be interesting to my audience? What types of quotes, those types of things. So if you like the way I do the interviews, when I'm interviewing people about their books, that's kind of how that goes. And then there's usually a few books a year. Like if I have a long road trip or if I'm going to be gone at the airport, I'll, I'll kind of listen to some books, but that's basically how I read. If I read right before bed, I can maybe get in one chapter kind of a deal. Uh, a lot of it will be read during the day as well. I just kind of like literally lay here on the floor of my studio and I just kind of read books and that's how I get through it. But here's just kind of a quick thing from the very beginning. One thing that annoys me about modern manhood, well, there's a lot of things that annoy me about modern manhood. Obviously, I talk about it all the time. It's guys that have this aversion to reading. Like they just, they're allergic to it. They're like, I don't need to read. It's this common concept of, you know, I I read books in high school and I read a few in college and I don't need to read anymore. And I, I gotta be honest. I just don't really understand that. I don't really understand that point of view because you've heard, you know, leaders are readers, of course. But uh, my buddy who I quote basically every year, uh, Matt Hankinson, he basically says, look, there are two types of people in this world. There are people that read and then there are morons. (laughs) And the thing is, is can you be smart? Can you have wisdom without reading? Yes. But how do you expect to grow in your intellectual capacity and to grow in wisdom without reading? Certainly that applies to the Bible, but that also applies to, you know, extra Bible things, things that are outside the Bible. And so guys, if you're not reading, this doesn't have to be like this big thing where you have to try to read 50 books next year. 
Like reading one book a month is entirely doable. And I don't care what your job status is. I don't care what kind of business you run. I don't care how many kids you have. One book a month, two to 300 pages in a month, that's absolutely doable. At a minimum, you guys should be reading one book a month. And as I talked about on the Mike Glover podcast, the only thing that you need to make sure that you have ready to go is you have your book you're reading now, and then you have the next two books that you plan to read. Because that'll keep you from taking a week off after you finish that book and then taking a month off and then it turns into six months and then it turns into 10 years and you haven't read a book, right? So after you finish your book, take a few days off or whatever, and then pick up the next book, be ready to go. If you're a physical book guy, by all means, put a physical book in your hands. If you need it digitally so that, you know, while you're sitting around, you know, waiting at the doctor's office or, you know, waiting for your kids to come out of the school or something like that, you've got your, you know, book maybe on your phone. Uh, For a lot of guys listening to a book, I will say for me, the only books that I listen to are fiction books or history. And because it's just a how, how I like to take notes and how I like to coalesce things, I'm not going to listen to a book and you know stop, you know pull over to the side of the road and take a quick note on my phone. I'd rather not do that. I'd rather read it. So there you go. There's your commercial for those of you that need to read. So let's talk about how I break down my list. So in years past, what I would do is I would basically do categories of awards, right? For books that I read during this year that were from this year and books that I read during this year that were from previous years, right? And so I would have titles like most exciting book and most thought provoking book and most difficult book and all that. But this year I want to experiment with actually ranking because that's a lot harder to do. Yeah. You can kind of make up a category to, you know, kind of coalesce to a book that you like, but basically I have two lists here. So I have a top six list. I know kind of a random number, but Stan Musial is number six. So we'll go with number six, top six list of books that were released before 2023, but I read this year. And then a top 10 list of books from 2023 that I read this year. So two different lists. So I'll give the top two of my books from 2023. I'll give the top two a little bit more attention, but I'm basically going to buzz through this list because I want you to put these books on your book list. Consider the mention of all these books to be an endorsement of these books. That doesn't mean I endorse every single sentence that was written, but it does mean I think it is worth your time to read or listen to these books. And yes, I will award the worst book that I read in 2023. Some of you just look up to look forward to that stuff because you're pessimists like me, but I will tell you it was hard doing a ranking especially on the top 10 list books of of 2023, the differences between like the number nine book and the number three book is like minuscule. Like I was literally sitting there like moving books around and moving books in and out of my top 10. So it was difficult to do. But before we get to the top 10 books of 2023 that I read this year, we're going to do the top six books that I read this year that were not released in 2023. Okay. Quick sip of water. Let's get after it. Number six. The Crucifixion of the King of Glory, uh, King of Glory by Eugenia Constantinou. So that was released last year in 2022. So I interviewed her on episode 470 of this book. And so she is Eastern Orthodox. And so she's the first person I had on the show that was of that persuasion. So we got to speak on that a little bit. But this book specifically goes into very, very stark detail about the process of crucifixion, what Christ would have gone through physically, but also explained really the context of the first century. And it really kind of brought the first century to light because there were so many things that I'd never really even thought of. Like the only dignity that they did to Jesus and to other Jews that they crucified is that the Romans would not crucify them naked. I didn't know that. I thought Jesus was crucified naked because everyone that was crucified by the Romans was crucified naked. But so as to not piss off the the Jews, the Romans were like, okay, well, at least uh, as we're, you know, murdering you and torturing you, we'll at the very least, you know, let you cover your junk. 
Okay, so, but there were a lot of things where she kind of broke down the science of what was happening, you know, especially I remember what, like with the crown of thorns, like what type of pain Jesus would have been in with something like that, uh, where they would have uh, put the nail in, in, in terms of the hand and the wrist and those, those different things. But it was just, it gave me a very different perspective on what exactly was happening, the context of the culture, how Jews felt about crucifixion, how Romans used crucifixion and all those types of things. And so it's an absolutely fantastic book. And with all of these, I've basically talked to these authors. So I will refer you back to those interviews. So just go back to episode 470 if you want to hear about that. But that's number six. Number five, is Blood Covenant by Michael Franzese. And so Michael Franzese, uh, this book was released in 2009. I talked to him on episode 435 of this podcast, so episode 435. But this is a guy that was a mafia boss, right? And so he is a guy that is responsible for uh, basically creating millions and millions of dollars illegally uh, for a lot of blood being spilled. And this book is the story of basically how he got into organized crime, how he got into the mob, how the families work, what it was like when he was initiated, how his father uh, had had an input in all of that. But then eventually, to kind of speed up the story, he finds Christ. And he finds Christ because he was doing prison time. And it's just a really, really interesting book. Um, it's a unique book. I mean, I certainly haven't read a come to Jesus story that started with. And so there I was, you know, taking care of business in the mob. And so uh, a lot of people know who Michael Franzese is. And he's been around for a very, very long time. He's doing some incredible stuff now with some different paywall content and stuff that he does on YouTube. But that was a fantastic book. So number five is Blood Covenant by Michael Franzese. All right. The number four book that I read, not from this year, but read this year is Cold Case Christianity by J. Warner Wallace. And so this is actually the 10th anniversary edition. So technically the 10th anniversary edition of this book was released this year, but it had just, you know, a few updates and additions from the original one that was released a decade ago. And I had J. Warner Wallace on to talk about that you know, on episode 508. And the thing about Jim, if you don't know anything about him, he was a cold case detective, uh, you know, murder detective for LAPD. And he was able to use as an atheist, he was able to use his skill set on investigations and, uh, you know, crime solving and things like that and cold cases. And he applied that to the Bible and he applied that to the declarations of first century Christians. And eventually that helped lead him to Christ. And so his books are normally very, very detailed, but they still have a narrative arc as well. And so it's just crazy that in the last 10 years, I never picked up Cold Case Christianity. So I'm very excited that they released the 10th year anniversary edition because it gave me a chance to dig through that content. It's well worth your time. Number four, Cold Case Christianity by Jay Warner Wallace. All right, number three, Future Men by Douglas Wilson. So this was released back in 2016. So I had Doug Wilson on the show to talk about mainly his, his newer book, Mere Christendom. And so that was episode 495 of this podcast. So go back to 495. But early next year, year, we're going to have another conversation with Doug where we talk specifically about future men. So future men is a book that has been on our 100 books list, the 100 books that every modern Christian man should read list, which by the way, if you want access to that, just go to our website, undaunted.life backslash book list. So undaunted.life backslash book list, or just go to our website. You'll be able to find it under the resources, but that has been in the manhood section, but I hadn't actually read that book because whenever I first did this list. Uh, I engaged with a bunch of guys that I trust that I know are, are deep readers and they gave me a bunch of books. So that initial book list, I know I've made a lot of edits to it since I initially released it. Probably about 60 of those books were mine and about 40 were from people that I trusted and future men was on there. And I finally got around to reading it this year. It is a fantastic breakdown. Uh, even though, you know, 2016 seems like it was a million years ago, but it's a fantastic breakdown of what types of issues befall young men in our modern culture. 
but also what biblical masculinity is, biblical boyhood is. It's just a fantastic read. It's not a really long book, but it's well worth your time. Number three, Future Men by Douglas Wilson. All right, number two, Undaunted Courage by Stephen Ambrose. So this was released in 1997, and maybe I put it a little higher on the list because it has the word undaunted, and I, I may admit that, but this is a book about the Lewis and Clark uh, you know, journey across the United States. And so the thing is, is like I was at least tangentially aware of some of the things about the Lewis and Clark expedition because, you know, all of us are from, from elementary school. I remember even, yeah, we did a Lewis and Clark play and I like played Napoleon and, you know, we were talking about the Louisiana purchase and a bunch of different things, but this book is so unbelievably interesting. Like it's painful because, you know, it talks about Thomas Jefferson and, you know, the Louisiana purchase and how much of a risk that was and how it, you know, really risked the, uh, the coalescing of the entire nation and how the, the things that we take for granted in terms of how we get across the country today to just imagine two men plus, you know, a couple of dozen more making their way across the country and the things that they had to deal with. And they didn't have modern equipment. They didn't have modern hiking boots. They didn't have, you know, high quality tents that, you know, would withstand whatever winds and temperatures and things like that. You know, they, these were guys that were just doing their best with what they had at the time. I mean, this was a long time ago. And to just to hear what they went through as they went all across the country, a lot of times on foot, sometimes on horses. But I'll even talk about this. I was listening to this book a lot of time while I was sitting in a, uh, in a, uh, a deer blind, right? And so I'm sitting here listening to these stories because as they were making their way across the plains, this was at the time when animals were way more ubiquitous than they are now because of settling and because of uh, this was before all the, 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 you know, the different fur traders and all that basically almost killed all the bison. Uh, you know, they really destroyed the elk population, the bear population. And so this was before all that. And so you would hear them talk about, um, you know, how they ate that day. And so the people that were with them, they were eating like, 10 to 15 pounds of meat a day, literally 10 to 15 pounds. So this is way before Jordan Peterson and, and Joe Rogan hopped on the, uh, the carnivore bandwagon. That's all these guys ate. And so you would hear them talk about, well, you know, our hunters went out today and they killed a bear, three elk, five deer, and you know, a couple of beavers. And that's what they ate that day. And I just was reminded of like being in the mountains trying to figure out like, okay, where, where are the bear at? You know, where are the elk at? And you, you get lucky if you see something. And for some of you whitetail hunters, you know, you're kind of getting through that season to where it's like, you might be eating a tag sandwich at this point because you haven't seen anything that was worth taking. But at this time it was just everywhere. And again, they weren't hunting with modern rifles and modern, you know, scopes and, you know, all that type of stuff. And they were just really, really good at what they did. And so the uh, the level of detail in this book is fantastic. I would suggest listening to this one because the, the book itself is a tome. But if you listen to it on a car ride or something like that, it's very, very entertaining. Number two, Undaunted Courage by Stephen Ambrose. And now, insert drum roll if you'd like, the number one book that I read this year that wasn't made this year is The Road by Cormac McCarthy that was released in 2006. And so Cormac McCarthy actually uh, just passed away this year. I think he was 90 or 91. But this is a novelist and he's written some amazing works like Blood Meridian and No Country for Old Men. But The Road, everyone kind of remembers the the Viggo Mortensen movie. It's a post-apocalyptic world where a dad and a son are trying to survive together. And, you know, the movie does a pretty good job of kind of explaining it. But I just got to tell you, this is just another example of the book being way better than the movie. So I actually need to go back and rewatch the movie because I watched that movie before I was a father. And now that I'm a father of two sons, it's, it's just different. 
And I will tell you, the reason why this is my number one book of the year that I didn't read in this year is because this is now my number one favorite nonfiction or favorite fiction piece of work ever. So I love the stuff that's been written by Jack Carr, more on him in a second, the stuff that's been written by Stephen Pressfield and obviously like Ernest Hemingway. And and there's a lot of great people and there's a lot on our book list. We have a literature section with some of the, the greatest novels ever, ever put out. But this is my favorite novel ever. And I think it has to do exactly with the fact that I have sons. Because so many times throughout this book, I put myself in the father's shoes. And I thought about, because the kid, the son in this book is, he seems like he's maybe like nine or 10. I don't think they ever specified in the book. But it's just such a a whirlwind of emotions for a father. And I don't really want to give anything away, but just imagine trying to operate in a post-apocalyptic world with dangers around every corner and, you know, the bleakness of trying to find food and water and you're trying to keep your son alive, but you're also trying to be a father. And there are so many allusions to the biblical narrative of a heavenly father and us as, uh, you know, image bearers of him, but also a heavenly father and his son, Jesus. And there's all this is just kind of works its way through the novel. Uh, this is going to be something that I that I buy and share with a lot of people. I've already bought copies of this to share with people, uh, people that have sons, people that have sons that maybe are going off to college soon or that are kind of in that age. This is a great book for fathers and sons to read together. Now, I will tell you, it is, it's rough. Like it is very, very violent in places. Uh, and it's very explicitly violent, which is, you know, indicative of Cormac McCarthy's style. That's really something that he did a lot of. Uh, and that's what he was known for. Uh, so it's not like bloodlust for bloodlust's sake, but, you know, it might be a little bit uh, rough for, you know, a 10 or 11 year old boy to read. But especially if you have a teenage boy, dad, this would be a great one to read. And if you've never been a reader, buy this one. If you got a teenage son, he's never seen you read a book buy two copies of it and say, son, we're going to read this together and we're going to come together and talk about it. So just an absolutely fantastic book. I'm so glad that I finally read it this year, but the number one book from this year or that I read this year, that's not from this year, The Road by Cormac McCarthy. Again, that was released in 2006. But now we're going to get to the top 10 books of 2023 that were actually released in 2023. And before we get to number 10, I just need to do an honorable mention. Now, Some people do honorable mentions because they do a top 10, top five list, and then they just can't help but mention a bunch of other things. I'm doing an honorable mention because this book isn't fair to put in the top 10 because it's so different than the other 10. So as I've talked about before, I don't read a lot of fiction, okay? It's kind of hard for me to follow, kind of keeping people straight and keeping the storyline straight and all that. And part of me is like, when I read a fiction book, typically, and here I am just got through talking about the road and how much of an impact it had on me. I want to fill my mind with with data, things that help me to be more discerning, and that doesn't necessarily happen when I'm just like reading reading a novel about a story that somebody made up with made up characters. So the honorable mention for the top 10 is Only the Dead by Jack Carr. So that is the latest novel that he's re- released in the Jack uh, James Reese series. And in the James Reese series, this is novel number six. Every one of these is a banger. Right. I know people kind of, you know, rank order them of the six. If I had to choose one, Savage Son, the third novel would be my favorite in this uh, series so far. But again, it just doesn't make sense to throw him in the top 10 because every year that he releases a James Reese novel, it's going to be in our top 10. So I'm keeping it out of the top 10 so that we can be fair to the 10 nonfiction books that I wanted to bring to you. Okay, so with that in mind, let's go ahead and get into number 10. So the number 10 book of 2023 is Woke Jesus by Lucas Miles. And so Lucas Miles is a pastor. He came on episode 483 of this podcast. This book, if you're a Christian 
and you don't really understand wokeness. You don't really understand critical theory. You don't really understand how leftism has and progressivism has kind of invaded and infected Christianity. And you want a quick read that's very palatable. It's Woke Jesus by Lucas Miles, because this book has a ton of citations, but it's a very palatable book. There are deeper books on the subject, and we'll talk about one here in a second, that aren't as accessible. But again, if you're not super well-read, and if you're not versed on all these topics, that's one that you absolutely have to pick up. Okay, so that's the number 10 book of 2023, Woke Jesus by Lucas Miles. Number nine is Prepared by Mike Glover. And so a lot of you that are new listeners to the show, you came to our show because of Mike Glover's podcast, Mike Force, and my interview that I did over on his show, which has done incredibly well as of the recording of this. I think we're over 200,000 uh, views on that just here in a couple of weeks, so it's been fantastic. But this book, just like the last one, is almost like a primer for preparedness. So I don't like saying prepping because, you know, when people say talk about preppers, we kind of have something in mind that's not always super positive. But this is a good book that if you want to kind of dip your toe in the world of preparedness, whether that's physical preparedness or the preparedness of your family or the homestead or your materials or any of those types of things, your vehicle, this is a great way to really dig into that. So Mike was able to put his experience as uh, a member of the Green Berets and also a member of the CIA and the things that he's done since then with Philcraft Survival into a book that, again, is accessible. I've read other books that are kind of in this vein that are more like reference books. And if you try to read them from cover to cover, it's going to kind of bog you down. But this is not going to be like that. So, again, he talked about it a lot on episode 479 of this podcast. But the number nine book of 2023 is prepared by Mike Glover. All right, let's go to number eight. The number eight book of 2023 is Saving Aziz by Chad Robichaux. And so Chad Robichaux is obviously a buddy. He's been on the show several times, but he came on episode 415 of this podcast. And Azuzula Aziz, the guy who is the center point of the Saving Aziz book, is on episode 416. So those were released in January of this year. Definitely go back and listen to those. But this is detailing what Chad Robichaux and the other parts of the crew for uh, Save Our Allies. So that would be Sarah Verardo, who's been on the show, Tim Kennedy, who has been on the show, Nick Palmashano, and a bunch of guys that we're not allowed to name. In terms of what they did when they initially were trying to save Azizullah Aziz and his family when the Taliban retook over the Afghanistan because the United States pulled out because Joe Biden's a turd. And so it details kind of how that initial mission of, hey, we need to get Aziz and his family out expanded to where they saved like 15,000 people from Afghanistan in like a few weeks. And it goes into some of the details about what they saw when they were on the ground, what happened to Aziz at different points, how he was trying to get to these checkpoints, trying to be saved. And he kept running into Taliban who knew who he was. They knew he had helped the Americans. And again, at that time and, you know, on into today, if they find people that they knew were helping the Americans during the war against the Taliban, these are people that they're just executing. They're raping the women before they execute them and those types of things. And so that book goes into all that detail. So if you're into that type of thing, you should definitely pick up that book. So again, the number eight book of 2023, Saving Aziz by Chad Robichaux. Then we have number seven. So this is Wimpy, Weak, and Woke by John Cooper. And so John Cooper, lead singer of Skillet, friend of the show. I've been on his show several times. He's been on my show several times. But we specifically talked about this book on episode 526 of this podcast. So with number 10, I talked about Woke Jesus by Lucas Miles being an accessible book, kind of a quick read on these subjects. This book is not as accessible because it goes way deeper on the subjects of critical theory, on progressivism, on wokeness, basically overall. But the contention, the main contention of this book is that modern Christians have become wimpy, weak, and woke. 
That's kind of a, a good way to encapsulate it. I think I was actually the first person to read this book cover to cover before I had him on the show. And the thing about this book is there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of citations. If you want to use this book as a primer to send you down the rabbit hole on different specifics about specific heretical philosophers or uh, people that have basically given rise to this woke movement, this is the book that will do that. And so it's funny as you're reading this, you're forgetting, oh, this is John Cooper. This is a guy that's been a rock star for over 20 years. His band has sold something like, <clears throat> excuse me, like 15 or 16 million records. One of the best selling uh, modern rock bands of all time. One of the most streamed modern rock bands. They're still touring all the time and headlining and you know selling out places and stuff like that. And so you forget, oh, this was written by a rock star. Because a lot of those, excuse me, a lot of those rock, uh, rock star guys, I mean, they're just kind of vapid. Their lives is centered around chasing tail and doing drugs and drinking and, you know, just the road. And here John Cooper is writing this, this tome on the, the wimpiness, the weakness, and the wokeness of kind of our, our modern moment. So it's a fantastic read. It's a, again, it's going to be harder to get through than Lucas Miles' book, but it's still fairly accessible, even though it goes pretty deep. So the number seven book of 2023, Wimpy, Weak, and Woke by John Cooper. Number six, Manhood by Josh Hawley. So Josh is a United States Senator representing the state of Missouri. He came on episode 481 of this podcast. And the reason that that interview happened is because he went on the uh, Jordan Peterson podcast and he did a fantastic job because if you listen to the Jordan Peterson podcast, he interrupts constantly. He interrupts people while they're mid-thought because he has to get his thought out. And I thought Josh Hawley did a great job of kind of anticipating that. And so he would cut his answers off to where Jordan Peterson had kind of a, a softer place to land as opposed to like, you know, running into the middle of the sentence with a hatchet. But this was a book where Josh Hawley took on the subject of manhood, but he did it through a biblical lens. So on episode 41 of this podcast, we talk a lot about that. And I also gave him my critique and why this book wasn't any higher is because he basically doesn't mention Jesus as the standard for manhood in modernity. And I thought that that was a big swing and miss on this book. But even with that big swing and miss, it's still one of the better books that I've read on manhood in general. And so that book is certainly well worth your time, Manhood by Josh Hawley. All right, let's get into the number five book of 2023, Anything is Possible by Joby Martin. So. As all of you know, Joby Martin's a very good friend of mine. He comes on the show about once a month to do a new thing called Ask a Pastor with Joby Martin. But on episode 443 of this podcast, we talk specifically about Anything is Possible. And that was the follow-up book to If the Tomb is Empty. And so if you hear him talk about these two books, these two books could have been one volume, okay? So I don't know what they would have called it, but those books could basically be read together as one large book. So this is technically the sequel book but as with any you know movie that has a good sequel, they can be watched back to back and just kind of work within each other. But this is a book that, you know, with a title like Anything is Possible, you think, oh, this is going to be like some sort of vapid self-helpy thing, but it's not. It's a very biblically-based, gospel-centered book that helps Christians understand their plight as it refers to and as it points to the gospel and the work of the gospel. And again, the, the first book, if the Tomb is Empty is, is on our book list, the 100 book list uh, every modern Christian man should read in the Christian section. And again, it's kind of like, okay, read that one because it, it works very, very well with this one. But that's been one of the most memorable podcasts that, that we've had was because when he came on episode 443, that was the third time he had come on the show. But that was where we really lit it up. And like fans were really like, okay, like I really enjoyed the first two times Joby came on, but this time we really went went into it. But I mean, at this time I knew him way more. I had read two of his books at this point. 
And I was able to kind of coalesce an idea of his philosophy of how he carries himself and how he prefers to put the message of the gospel out there. But again, very, very palatable book. This is an easy read, but it's going to be challenging as well because it's not going to allow you any of your priors uh, to, to stand unchallenged. So if you think the gospel is a certain thing that kind of, you know, molds itself to your chosen lifestyle and your, your chosen pet sins, this book is going to kind of expose that. So the number five book of 2023, Anything is Possible by Joby Martin. All right, next one here, the number four book of 2023, The Story of Abortion in America by Marvin Olasky and Leah Savas. And so Leah actually came on episode 464 of this podcast, and this book is literally what it sounds like. It is a historical view of the history of abortion in America. And the interesting thing about this book, as you guys know, I'm very, very pro-life. I'm very engaged on the pro-life issue. I do speak on the pro-life issue, and I help train people on how to engage the top abortion arguments from pro-aborts. And so this is a book that actually helped me undergird a lot of the things that I argue with the history to back it up, because do you guys know what abortion was like in 1790? Because this book is going to help you understand that. And so again, this book, the first part was written by Marvin and then Leah comes in on the back end and kind of gives some of the modern arguments. And they were writing this book while when Roe v. Wade was overturned and Planned Parenthood v. Casey was overturned. And so this is a book that I added to the history section of our 100 books list on our website, because there's not a book that I've seen like this. Now, and this book is not going to be a mega bestseller, even by pro-lifers, because it's a history book, but I've never seen something give me the ground level view on what abortion is like and what the opinions on abortion are like and how opinions have changed over time, what caused them to change. And so my challenge to any of you that are, that are pro-lifers especially those of you that engage with pro-abortion people on this subject matter, you need to know this information. And that information is not just readily available on Live Action's website or any of these other pro-life groups or something like that. This gives you that deep dive. So you should absolutely read this book. Number four, The Story of Abortion in America by Marvin Olasky and Leah Savas. All right, now we're getting to the top three. So we're really getting in the nitty gritty here. Number three book of 2023 is The War on Men by Owen Strand. So Owen Strand came on episode 509 of this podcast to talk about The War on Men. This is probably to date one of the best books that I've read strictly on biblical masculinity. So Josh Hawley's book earlier, like I said, talked about masculinity through the lens of philosophy and the Bible and things like that, but he leaves Jesus out. Owen Strand doesn't do that. So he talked about this on episode 509. This came on the heels of last year's episode where he came on, and that was the most viewed and most listened to interview that we did on the show last year. And so I wanted to get him on this year to talk about something that's obviously near and dear to our hearts, which is biblical masculinity. And this is just a very forceful book in the best way that I could I could tell you, and I added this to our book list as well, because it breaks down what biblical masculinity should be, and it uses the Bible mainly. Whereas Josh Hawley's book kind of depends on philosophy and some some cultural things, which are good, which I'm, I'm all for. This one basically sticks to more of a biblical side of masculinity. Um, I'm trying to think of specific things from the book uh, just to give it a better commercial. But, I mean, it's the number three book I read this year. And, I mean, I considered putting it at number one. You'll see how hard it was. Like I told you, like, when we get down to this top five, it's just like, how in the heck do you spread these out? Like, basically every book that was in the top five, so you've, you've seen three of them right now, I considered making it the number one book. 
And so this is like, okay, you got five kids and they're all awesome and all have straight A's and all good athletes. It's like, if you had to rank them, like how hard is that going to be? That's what this felt like. So I'll just leave that there on that one. The number three book I read in 2023, The War on Men by Owen Strand. Now, number two. So some of you that have seen our interviews this year, you probably know what's coming up at number one. But number two is Wild Time Remains by Yon Mi Park. So I'll talk more about Yon Mi Park when we get to our best podcast of the year. But she came on episode 431 of this podcast. I had been working to get her on the show. We were trying to work it out for literally like two or three years. And we finally made it work. If you don't know who Yeonmi Park is, she was a North Korean defector. She escaped to uh, eventually to South Korea, but she did it through China. Uh, she was trafficked uh, sexually, her and her mother both. And it kind of tells that story. But I just actually want to read the description of this book, and then I'll read some of my favorite quotes. The North Korean defector, human rights advocate, and best-selling author of In Order to Live sounds the alarm on the culture wars, identity politics, and authoritarian tendencies tearing America apart. After defecting from North Korea, Yeonmi Park found liberty and freedom in America, but she also found a chilling crackdown on self-expression and thought that reminded her of uh, that reminded her of the brutal regime she risked her life to escape. She spoke out about the mass polit- political indoctrination she saw around her in the United States. Park faced censorship and even death threats. In While Time Remains, Park highlights the dangerous hypocrisies, mob tactics, and authoritarian tendencies that speak in the name of wokeness and social justice. No one is spared in her eye-opening account, including the elites who claim to care for the poor and the working classes, but turn their backs on anyone who dared to think independently. Park arrived in America eight years ago with no preconceptions, no political aims, and no partisan agenda. With urgency, the unique insight and unique insight the best-selling author and human rights ad- activist reminds us of the fragility of freedom, uh, f- fragility of freedom, and what we can do to preserve it. And so, this book again it has some auto autobiographical elements of her unbelievable story of survival. Again, we talk about that on uh, the episode she came on, episode four thirty one. Uh, Jordan Peterson writes the foreword of this book, which is a fantastic foreword, and you just can't believe the stuff that happened to her and to have the mindset that she has right now unbelievably positive, unbelievably hopeful, but not blind. She doesn't look at America through rose-colored glasses. So uh, we'll we'll get there with, I'll read a few quotes from the book. These are shorter quotes, but um, these are kind of the reason why I really like the book. So here's the first quote. I remember preparing myself for suicide. My mother and I had a plan for if we were caught. She had hidden uh, a dozen razor blades in my jacket and a plastic bag full of sleeping pills in her bra. We cried as we rehearsed the steps if we we got caught by the authorities. We tried to lighten the emotional burden by reassuring each other that we were lucky to be in such a position at all, to finally escape to freedom, or else to finally be released from hell. Our journey to the other side, wherever that may be, would be together. It would be to freedom. So she wrote that as her and her mother were being sexually trafficked and just human trafficked through China, eventually through Mongolia, and then into South Korea. Next quote here. In the midst of arguing that gender is a construct, complaining about toxic masculinity and mansplaining, declaring that the idea of a protector or provider is sexist, that marriage is outdated, and that children rob you of your freedom, no one seemed to stop and wonder if they might be personally responsible for their own unhappiness. And so this is the part where she was kind of attacking uh, these people that talk about misogyny all the time, but then we don't talk about misandry. You know, basically ever misandry is the hatred of men. Misogyny is the hatred of women. All right, last quote here. Again, just an absolutely fantastic book. 
The fact that leftists tend to benefit so greatly from American democratic capitalism while rhetorically advocating for its destruction also helps explain why they are so much less focused on the future than on the past. Stuck in their own self-made contradictions about current American life, from which they profit so handsomely, leftists tend to focus on the unalterable past as a way of perpetuating their own perceived victimhood and punishing their ideological opponents. Hence, a distant uh, descendant of the 19th century African slaves who work at Goldman Sachs or studies at Harvard is a victim. The first generation immigrant child of a 21st century Chinese slave who goes to public school is not. So again, she has no sacred cows that she's not willing to take on. Again, this is a gal who walked across the Mongolian desert in uh, the middle of the night, in the middle of winter, basically in a light jacket and crappy shoes when she weighed like 85 pounds because she was so malnourished from living in North Korea. So when she comes to America, she's not afraid to take on leftists. She's not afraid to take on the things that we're not supposed to take on. She's not afraid to say the things that need to be said in our culture. Again, it's just an absolutely, absolutely fantastic book. My number two book of the year for 2023, While Time Remains by Yon Mi Park. And so here we are. Uh, before I get to the number one book, I do actually need to talk about the worst book that I read in 2023. And I'm actually pretty sad to bring this to you. I'm going to be 100% honest because typically the worst book that I read of the year is so blatantly obvious and it sucks so bad. And I, I, I basically want the author to suffer because of the, the filth and nonsense that they put into a book that I actually had to read. This year, I don't feel that way because I really, really like the author. And the author and I get along well, and we agree about a lot of things, but I just couldn't put it out of my mind how poorly I think this book was argued. And so the book is The New Fight for Life by Benjamin Watson. And so that he came on in episode 473 of this podcast, and I'll give you a little bit of a, of a primer on this. So I've always been a fan of Benjamin Watson. I'm very much so a fan of his pro-life stances and the things that he's done in his career to, to stand up for people and to stand up for Christ in, in public and all those different things. <clears throat> and so when I saw he was writing a book about the abortion subject matter, I, I was like, yeah, like we need to hook this up immediately. And so we, we got him scheduled before the book was released. And when I started to read the book, I started digging into the book and I was like, huh, okay. Uh, a lot of the language is kind of strange. It's language that you would expect to see from more progressive lefty type people. And the thing about the book is some people are are long on description and short on prescription, right? So they'll describe a problem in detail, but what they prescribe to fix it is really bad. The thing I found most disappointing about this book is it was long on description, but the descriptions were in a lot of ways not very accurate. And then the prescriptions were equally as nonsensical. And so basically, this book was a kind of a, I don't consider him to be a leftist Christian, but this book was very leftist in the things that it did. You could even see subtle things like he would capitalize the word black when describing black people, but not white when describing white people. That is, you know, an APA standard now, but that is something that typically only progressives use. A lot of the things that he talked about in the book in terms of how we can curb the abortion issue, which he has fervently dedicated his life to, which is why I like him and what he does so much, it's to this concept of basically the government needs to take care of people from womb to tomb. Now, I'm all for people taking care of themselves from womb to tomb. I'm all for churches and ministries taking care of people from womb to tomb. But he's talking about basically the federal government doing these things. And so in a lot of the prescriptions in this book, it was like utopian. 
It was like, okay, yeah, in a perfect world, here are the things that we could do to prevent people from killing their babies. And a lot of times, like he, he tended to dismiss the role, especially of black women in their own choices. Because again, black women are not being rounded up on the streets, thrown into vans, driven to Planned Parenthood, being strapped down and chained down or whatever, and then having their babies forcibly removed from them. These are women that are either paying a few hundred bucks or getting uh, the, the procedure paid for, and they are going into an office knowing that there will be a paid assassin that's going to kill their child. They're not confused about the outcome of an abortion. They know exactly what they're doing, and a lot of them are very, very proud about the multiple abortions that they've gotten. And it's certainly not just black women. It's women of, of all stripes and all backgrounds, right? But this is something that it seemed like he was basically giving black women a pass and also giving black men a pass or just men in general a pass because obviously we know that three quarters of all black babies in America are born out of wedlock. A lot of the problems in the quote-unquote black community, which I hate talking about an entire group of people that share the same level of melanin as a group, but if we're talking about just colloquially, they have such ridiculous problems in that community because of a lack of fathers. And not just biological fathers, just fathering of any kind. Because, I mean, remember back in the day, like you hear your grandparents talk about if they got in trouble on the other side of the neighborhood, a neighbor would whoop them. You know what I mean? And so it's not just your dad. But it's just like, you know, the the fatherhood atmosphere that you're in. And that certainly is a problem in the black community. But the same is true for Mexicans, for, uh, you know, other Latino groups here in the United States, for white people. It's not a huge problem in the Asian community because the family unit is so important. But again, he was basically not calling out men for for being deadbeats. <clears throat> because one of the things that prevents abortion to an extreme degree is when the male's like, no, we're not going to kill this baby. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to take care of this baby. Like, let's work this out. So at the uh, Hope Pregnancy Center here in Edmond, Oklahoma, that's our pro-life center here, the odds of someone choosing to, to save their baby when the male is involved in part of that entire process goes to the roof. And they save a lot of babies over there, even when the dad's not around. But when the dad is around, even if he's young, even if he's kind of a punk, even if he's kind of immature, even if he's not a, a, a big earner or a wisdom-filled individual, when he's part of the process, you know, as they describe it, there, there are these men that the women are sitting there, you know, considering an abortion, and they're like looking to their man almost like, hey, please save me from this. But if he just sits there silently like a bump on a log like Adam, then, you know, they'll just kind of go through with the process. They'll just... You know, a lot of these women will end up, you know, killing their baby because the man in their life is like, oh, you know, do whatever makes you happy. It's your body. Because, again, they bought into the cultural lie. So I would have loved to have um, been able to say that everyone should read this book and use it as a, a way to argue. But when I go back to the interview, what I chose to do is to focus on the things that Benjamin Watson and I agree on. And so that was what most of the interview was. Uh, I, at one point I considered canceling the interview because I was like, I don't know how to make an interview out of this because the, the book I just felt like was so poorly done. I just did not like it at all. I didn't think it did uh, any favors to the pro-life cause, uh, to be honest. But I tried to focus on what we uh, agreed on. There were a few times where I pushed back and did it on purpose, but I tried to do it in a way to where it's like, this is my brother in Christ. So let's see where we can come together. But uh, just overall, there just wasn't a, a worse book that I read this year. So the worst book of 2023, The New Fight for Life by Benjamin Watson. So let's shift gears a little bit. Let's get back to the happy side of the podcast. Let's go to my number one book of 2023. And that is The Surprising Rebirth of Belief in God by Justin Brierley. And so he's been on the show several times. He came on episode 498 of this podcast. If you don't know who Justin Brierley is, 
He was the longtime host of the Unbelievable podcast. And so Unbelievable is a debate show that I've been on a couple of times where they typically pit a Christian and a uh, you know secular atheist together and they'll argue some specific topic. So it could be you know, a theological topic. It could be a cultural topic. I was on there debating egalitarianism versus complementarianism. I'm obviously a complementarian, and I and I was on there again to debate Second Amendment, gun violence, those types of things. Um, and so this is a guy that has done quite a bit in that area, and he's been a part of a lot of these different debates. But I'll read the description of his book here, and then we'll get into a couple of favorite quotes. Justin Brierley is convinced that in our time, we are witnessing a growing wave of faith Famously described as the long withdrawing roar of the sea of faith, the Christian narrative that shaped the West has been replaced by sweeping secularism. But is that the end of the story? It was a conversation with agnostic journalist Douglas Murray that led Briarly to investigate whether a change was on the horizon. Speaking of the sea of faith, Murray remarked that tides come back in again and that a number of his intelligent friends had converted to Christianity in recent years. Briarly was seeing a similar trend among the secular thinkers he had interviewed. Jordan Peterson, Tom Holland, Dave Rubin, and many others have found themselves surprised by the continuing resonance and relevance of Christianity, and they are joining in on conversations about faith. Readers will encounter Briarly's discussion of cultural trends and concepts, including the meaning crisis, public intellectuals embracing faith, why the Christian story is ready to return, and much more. In the surprising rebirth of belief in God, Briarly outlines the dramatic fall of new atheism and the birth of new conversation of a new conversation on whether God makes sense of science, history, culture, and the search for meaning. People are returning to Christianity, but is the church prepared to welcome a new wave of faith? There's a new conversation building. The tide is coming. So again, we we went into a lot of detail in episode 498 of this podcast, but I do want to read a couple of quotes here that I thought were especially fantastic. There were the high priests, the four horsemen, and the sacred texts they had written. Science was their object of worship, and naturalism, the belief that all that exists can be explained by matter and motion and the blind forces of nature, was their creed. They gathered regularly to celebrate their beliefs, to praise the wonder of science, and to hear their leaders preach against those who believe another gospel. Atheists who questioned the strict materialist orthodoxy or even lost their faith altogether were heretics and rounded on an unswerving zeal. And so that's one quote. I'll read one more from this book here, and then I got a special announcement for you. By the time new atheism swung into view in the 2000s, there were precious few churches prepared to equip their members for the onslaught of skepticism it brought. They might have been able to offer uplifting worship songs and an inspiring sermon series on living your best life now, but few were in a position to offer a philosophical defense of God's existence or to defend the historicity of the Bible. There were notable exceptions, of course, but by and large, the Western church was caught on the back foot. And so as you go back to the interview I had with him earlier this year, we spent a lot of time focusing on chapter one because chapter one was basically like worth the price of admission for this book, but it did a very deep dive of why new new atheism is kind of uh, ran aground because we were told that these new atheists that basically Christianity, uh, Islam, all these, you know, worldviews that have an idea about a God or gods or things like that, that that was part of our past, that we have certainly evolved past that. And yet it is the new atheists that ran aground because they found that none of their prescriptions had any basis. None of their overall philosophies were grounded in a higher source of truth. And really where this ran aground is because a strict materialist, atheist, atheist, naturalist cannot argue with me or any other Christian about morality. 
because I appeal to a higher authority when I talk about morality. I appeal to God and his word, the Bible. Who do they appeal to? Themselves? Charles Darwin? Some obscure atheist philosopher from 600 years ago? That They have no backing for the way that they think. And so I would love to tell you more about why I like this book, but as a surprise for you guys, I'm going to let Justin Brierley do it. So if you're listening to this show on time, tomorrow we are going to be releasing a special short interview with Justin Brierley where we're going to talk about basically what the year has been like since he has released this book, what fruit he's seen from this, you know, what types of things he wished he would have put in the book, like what he's going to be working on next. So guys, that is a surprise interview that we just reached out to Justin. We told him we were going to give him this award. And he's like, yeah, let's definitely get on there and talk about it. So it's like a, a half hour podcast or something like that. But I wanted to bring that to you. But again, guys, thank you so much for listening to this show. We're so glad to bring you this best books list of 2023. In the show notes, here, well, here, I'll do my my real outro here. So before we let you go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost. At Undaunted Life, our mission is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. So I've got a link to our donation page, and then I've got a link to all the books that I mentioned on this podcast, except for the book that I mentioned as the worst book of the year. Actually, I think I put that in there as well. So if you want to check it out, you can do that for yourself. But you guys can check out all those books. Again, I give my my stamp of approval. If I was the Oprah Book Club, I would give a big old lion head stamp of approval for all these books. I think these should be on your book list before we get into 2024, but just wanted to bring all that to you. But again, guys, thank you so much for listening to the show. Thank you so much for sharing books with me throughout the year. I just appreciate all of you very, very much. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. Wherever you're listening to this, please subscribe, rate, and leave us a positive five-star review. If you want me to come speak live at your event or on your podcast, just shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. Follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook and check out our website for everything else, including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way. Just go to www.undaunted.life. And also we want to thank the band Holy Name for allowing us to use their music for our content. The music on this podcast is their song Perfect. Perpetua, which is off their self-titled debut album on Face Down Records. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep pushing back darkness, keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical resilience, keep seeking the Lion of Judah.